Welcome to the Good Life Podcast, 30 Minutes With. I'm your host, Tim Canny. Today, I sit down for 30 minutes with our national sales manager, Carlton Braithwaite. Now, you may have seen him on the game plan video or on stage, but who is Carlton? We're also going to talk to Carlton about how do you make a connection. And also, Carlton's going to tell us what was it like to have dinner with Jim Carrey. So welcome to the show, Carlton. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Tim. Thank you for having me. Uh, Excited to be a part of this. Excellent. Well, as you know, the show's about getting to know who you are and for us to learn from you today. So let's start with your good life story. It sounds, I guess, simple and, and easy enough. It's been interesting for me, but as a casual observer, I don't think it's anything uh, too, too crazy. You know, I've been with Good Life for, for 17 years, and I started out in Ottawa as a membership coordinator. So that was a previous iteration of a fitness advisor and worked my way through that role, became an AGM, and then eventually a general manager. I moved uh, from Ottawa to London to continue to be a general manager. Then I moved from London to Toronto to be a divisional manager. Uh, of course, that's where we got to spend a lot of time together. And then uh, I moved again back to London to uh, take on my my new role as a national sales manager. Now, I mean, that, that whole story in about 30 seconds was the better part of two decades. But uh, throughout that, I've obviously had the opportunity to meet some incredible people, had some fantastic mentors, you know, throughout my time. And the journey continues. Of course, the, the pandemic is a been an interesting chapter. I'm looking forward to moving to the to the next normal when that comes. And I'm sure those days are, are, are nearing, which is exciting. You know, and it's interesting what you said about meeting great people and mentors. And today I want to talk to you about making a connection because I know this is a big skill for you. And it's so important in the business we're in. I mean, we need to connect with our members and potential members. It's also vital that managers and associates create connections with each other. You know, there's this uh, great quote from Brene Brown. She says, I, I define connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. For you, what would you say are the big steps that you take to make a strong connection with someone? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think initially, my opportunity to strengthen that skill set came when I moved. You know, you've heard the idea that nothing really great is accomplished in your comfort zone. And when I left Ottawa, uh, I was obviously very comfortable. I was born and raised in Ottawa, so had friends and family there. And, and then I relocated to London, which at the time felt like a much smaller version of Ottawa, but I didn't know anybody. You know, I, I was forced to, you know, being immersed in, in that situation and, and being a manager to really try to develop relationships quickly. So there was a bit of trial and error as I, as I tried to understand what, you know, I was comfortable with and what others were comfortable with. But over time, what I certainly uh, came to realize that it was really important to have a connection with people before you try to deliver content to them. So you'll, you'll probably hear me say this a few times today, but connection before content really ensures that you have a good understanding of what other people value. And when, when that happens, you can help them. You know, and of course, in our business, we can speak specifically to helping members. But even if you just think of your friends and family, you know, when you know what's important to them, you can really start to assist them. And the more people you help, what I have found is the better position you often find yourself. And that we've likely all heard that quote from Maya Angelou, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's, it's such a simple idea. But to put it into practice consistently isn't always the easiest thing. So you hear that idea of like simple isn't always easy. But when you dedicate yourself to saying, hey, I'm going to really understand what 
you know, that other person's perspective is, you know, try to walk, you don't have to walk a mile in their shoes. You just have to put their shoes on, you know, and, and try to understand kind of where they're at and what could you do? What role could you play in helping create betterment for them? When that happens, the relationships grow immensely because it's no longer about working, you know, again, if we're speaking professionally, it's not, it's no longer about working with a peer or a specific role. You know, it's not about working with another divisional manager. It's never how I felt in terms of, if I use a recent example of you and I working together, I never felt like I was working with a divisional manager. I was like, I'm working with Tim and I know the things that matter to Tim. I know what I can do to help support you know, you and, and maybe that just means doing my job really well, but understanding those things can make such a huge difference in solidifying that connection and the relationship. And when that is in place and that trust is there, um, what people can accomplish can be outstanding. Yeah, I agree with you. And it, it's, you, you need to have that foundation. And it, it's interesting what you said. I mean, you talked about our relationship and, and we had a lot of exposure over mm-hmm. the years where, you know, as a general manager of a club and seeing ourselves in different contexts at sales launches and, and leadership meetings. Um, and then came time for us to work together as, as peers. Let's take an example of someone that you don't have that existing relationship. You mentioned moving from Ottawa to London. So an example of meeting them for the first time. So what would you say, like, what are the questions you ask or what are the go-tos that you, you, you take part in, in terms of getting that information from somebody so that you can start the connection? Yeah. You know, it's, so I, there's this one small thing that I do, but it, it does seem to have a bit of an impact with people and it, it starts with their name. And so I will ask uh, when I meet somebody, you know, so let's say let's say I was meeting you for the first time, and sorry, I don't recall exactly what our first interaction was. It was probably <laughs> at 137 Young, um, but you know, you would introduce yourself to me as Tim. I say, okay, great. I, I'm going to presume you prefer Tim over Timothy, and you'd say something there, and I would find a connection. Or you know, if I see somebody's name is Jacob, and I'm saying, you know, is, is Jake what you prefer? Do you want Jake? Do you want J Man? Like. I really, I just start with the, yeah, I honestly just start with the most basic thing and, and even pronunciation of people's names. You know, I want to make sure that I, I, I'm really like just starting with the basics. Who are you? How do you like to be referred to? You know, how can I make sure that when I'm addressing you even, that it's the way that you like, you know, and, 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 I'll, and I think maybe a little bit of as a pet peeve of my own. Like, so my name is Carlton and, you know, growing up in Ottawa, there's Carlton University, but they're spelt slightly differently. And I think Carlton University is a more recognizable brand than Carlton Braithwaite, and that's okay. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when people will spell my name and they spell it like it's Carlton University and not like my actual name, it's like a bit of a bothersome thing because I was like, why wouldn't you just take the time to know how to spell my name? And so it's just, you know, it's kind of a simple, goofy example, but it 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 serves as a really powerful gateway to say, like, I I respect you. I want to make sure that I'm addressing you in the way that you want to be addressed and let's build our relationship from there. You know, just, just starting with the basics. So it's interesting. And I like what you said about starting with the basics. So when we think about our associates, so we have fitness advisors who are going to sit down with a potential member Mm -hmm. and you know, they have the fitness planner in place and the fitness planner is, is very structured. And I like what you said where it's connection before content. So what would you suggest a fitness advisor do before diving into what they deem as expected? Like I have to follow this little document in front of me and answer all the questions and go through all the steps, but what's something they can do beforehand before diving in? It's a great question. And we've built in 
you know, some, some sort of tips and tactics to help people with that, right? Like you even just think about the compliment, you know, as part of being a good life associate, we, we train people to, to identify something that they like on an individual. Maybe it's your glasses, your jacket, you notice smaller details. I find the smaller the detail you notice, the more it's appreciated. So give you an example, like saying that you like somebody's jacket, um, is a lot different than saying like you really like the frame that they've chosen on their eyeglasses. And then as the details get smaller, it really lets people know that you're paying attention. You know, you're paying very close attention and you're acutely aware of like what they look like and what they've chosen, you know, how they want to kind of represent themselves. And the other tactic that I think um, we don't necessarily teach as much, and it, it, it does take time to get to that level of comfort, but to expose yourself and, and be a little bit vulnerable. You know, and to be honest about maybe some of your your personal shortcomings or your challenges, maybe if we're using, you know, the example of a fitness advisor, it could reference to some of the challenges that you've had, you know, personally with exercise adherence, because everybody goes through, you know, those moments. And I think that humanizing effect can be so powerful because people will come through our doors and, um, you know, put us in a, in a frame us in such a way that may not be wholly accurate uh, uh, of who we are as individuals. And as you give them insight, as you let them peer behind the curtain a little bit about the, the unique individual that you are, um, it lets people feel comfortable. And you, as soon as they start to feel comfortable, they can start to feel confident about what they will need to do to, to personally be successful. And that's a great way to, to just continue to build that connection. Once that's in place, then you can start to deliver your content or your message or start to prescribe what you feel will help that person. You know, let's, let's segue over to our, our managers. So, you know, a manager has a brand new associate, like it's a little bit different than the questions of course, we're asking a a potential member, Mm -hmm. but what would you say are those key questions that you would ask a brand new associate? So you're their manager day one. What's that connection guide for you? Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's really a similar process as what we had outlined before with a, a potential member or a customer coming through our doors. It's, you know, that person is, has chosen to, to, to join the good life team. And, I, and I'm hoping they're really excited about that. You know, I think anytime, um, and I don't have a lot of experience working for different companies, I'll be honest with you in my professional career, I've only really worked for two, um, good life and for Zanny group. But, uh, when you do start a, uh, with working with a new company or even start a new position, you're excited. And, and I think the, the supervisor's got an opportunity there to really capture a sense of, of what that person is feeling. And, and then from day one, from minute one, you know, what can I do to really make sure that this is one of the best experiences you can have? Because I, I have said that that was, that really was a, a driving force in my mission as a divisional manager. I wanted it to be the best job that any associate had ever had up until that point. So that, that's a really important, you know, extra piece that I add. I don't want it to be the best job that they ever have in their lives. You know, if they're just getting started with us, I, I hope that they go on to have really fulfilling professional careers. But up until that moment, I felt like my responsibility was to make this the best learning experience, the most engaging experience to, to feel what it feels like to be cared for as an associate and build that relationship so that you you gain their trust and and as a result of that i find you get the best out of people which of course you know if we're speaking from the perspective of a general manager sounds a little self-serving but i don't think i don't think it should be i think helping to get the best out of people even though that may 
end up benefiting you as an individual is okay because you can make everybody win, you know, and make everybody better. You know, and when we're looking at relationships or connection, you know, there's the initial act of making the connection, but then you also have to maintain the connection. So what are the factors that you put into place that allow you to kind of sustain or maintain the connection you've built? You know, I, I will always purposely dedicate time when I'm speaking with somebody to talk about things that aren't necessarily related to, you know, the professional sphere. Obviously you still need to be professional in terms of the content that what you're talking about, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll give you an example. The manager of the call center, uh, Ian Tranter, he, you know, he, he's one of my direct reports and I feel like we have a great relationship. Who knows? He'll, he'll hear this podcast and maybe, I don't know. I don't think he'll think differently, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> we really, you know, we have a weekly call and, and it, it it's pretty religious and, and we get on and we have, uh, things that we need to talk about. And I think there's also things that we want to talk about. And then there's things that we want to share you know, that allows, um, each other to get a glimpse into each other's lives. He lives on a, a farm and, you know, has horses. It's, it's really quite interesting. I, I find it incredibly fascinating. It's, it's nothing that I had the opportunity to grow up or have exposure to. So I, I really, I kind of take it as a bit of a learning. I, you know, I get, I get to understand like, you know, what motivates him outside of work and, and what are the things that he's passionate about? What are the things that he cares about? And we'll talk about anything and everything from, you know, horses to, to donuts to beer delivery. And, you know, and I don't think any of that takes away from how effective uh, or efficient we are in terms of you know, the tasks that we want to accomplish within good life. If anything, I think it helps us be better and, and be stronger and understand how each other can help and assist uh, the other to get what they need and, and accomplish the goals that they have. Yeah, I agree. You need to kind of break down the hierarchy because you know, I mean, it really comes down to people work for people. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there, there's an element to a company that will attract, but I think what retains is the relationships that you have and the connection you have with your boss or your fellow associates. Now, I mean, we talked about the the dynamic between manager and associates, but you know, if you are looking at, um, associate to associate, like one of our motivators to another motivator, fitness advisor to fitness Mm -hmm. advisor. What would you say is a good way for associates at that level to create good connections with each other? You know, again, I I feel like the, the recipe stays really consistent. You know, it's take the time to to care and, and treat people with a, a great deal of respect. You know, we all understand that relationships by their very nature can be quite fragile. And even a relationship that's you know, feels foundationally solid and it's built on years and years of, of, of mutual trust and respect. We know that can be eroded really quickly. You know, if, if someone, um, you know, behaves inappropriately, speaks inappropriately, like does things without consideration. And, and I've learned those lessons as well, you know, throughout my career of good life, it I certainly wouldn't say it's a completely unblemished record. You know, there've been challenging situations that I've dealt with, uh, with associates that in hindsight, if I look back, I think, you know, what role did I play in having an individual potentially feel the way that they did and what can I learn from it to ensure that going forward, you know, my interactions with associates, I, I hold them in really high regard and I hopefully have people leaving better feeling better than they did before the engagement or before the conversation, you know, and it, it, this sound, this may sound a little bit morbid and it's not, it's not meant to be, but 
the reality is, is that you will always have one last interaction with somebody. And often you don't know when that is. And so I think it's important that you leave people always feeling really great about what that interaction was like and, and feeling really positive about it. You know, there's, there's this idea that like you play outside with your neighborhood friends as a kid one last time. And when that happens, you don't actually know that that's the last time that it's going to happen. You know, and if you did know, how would you behave and how would you savor it? And I, and I really do honestly feel like, you know, and, and it's not to take anything for granted, but it's professional interactions with someone could be the last one. How you conduct yourself becomes your brand, your personal brand, your, your reputation. And what would you want people to say and think and feel, probably most importantly, feel about you based on how you've treated them and how those interactions have been. And if you, if you really take a, a moment to step back and say, man, I want these impressions to be nothing short of magical, then your behavior will change accordingly. Yeah, it comes down to a level of ownership. Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I really liked what you talked about in terms of the opposite to making a great connection or where those connections don't really work out or there's a rift in it. And it's so hard to take ownership for it because it's it's battling with the ego you don't want to be the person that's wrong mm -hmm. you don't want to be the one that caused that rift but when we actually step back and take a look at it and kind of say okay well what was my part in this what could i have done differently and i, I really like the example you gave of it, you know you never know what the last time is i mean just think back to all our connections that we had march 2020 mm -hmm. <laughs> when right. it's going to be like we'll see you on a monitor yeah. yeah. Any associate. I mean, you know, I think we talk about this a lot to our managers saying you have to take ownership for your actions and you're responsible for this relationship. But it's it's even in our personal lives. You know, if something goes wrong, you have to be OK for taking some responsibility for why it went wrong, because you'll learn from it. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and you're right about the ego. I think, you know, innately people want to be right and they want to to validate their own narrative. You know, so if they've told yourself a story about someone or about an event and how they perceived it, how they reacted and, and how you reacted, you often don't portray yourself as the villain. And, and, and it's not to say that you were or you weren't, but it's not usually the perspective that someone will kind of position it in their mind. They'll say like, you know, I really felt like I'd handled things appropriately and I did it right. And I don't know how they could interpret it differently. That wasn't my intent. I, you know, regardless of the impact and you, and you just kind of tell this narrative, but to your point, if you can take a step back and say like, okay, so what are some of the things that I said, you know, what were some of the things that I, that I, you know, consciously or unconsciously may have led to the, the situation going awry because presumably that's what happened here and when you can do that and have that level of self-awareness it will be profoundly impactful you know in, in terms of how you deal with future relationships mm -hmm. you know it's, it reminded me of um an interaction i had with a member once and it, the member was very upset very angry and you know and i was doing everything everything <laughs> what did you do did I, <laughs> well i you know I, I don't know what i personally did but i do know now what i personally did in the interaction with the member and then it came down and i was so thankful that this member was open with me said you know the one thing i didn't get from you and i i said please tell me and he's just like i didn't get i'm sorry and i went back through the dialogue and i was like you know what i didn't say i'm sorry 
you know, let's, let's talk a bit about a story where you really had to work hard at making a connection with could be someone on your team within Good Life, outside of Good Life. Do you have a, a story in terms of where you really had to work at that connection? Well, I, first off, I got to say, I love what you just said there about acknowledging it and starting with sorry. It's just so unapologetically Canadian, too, uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of how we deal with things. It, it, but, you know, one of the things about um, Canadians, you know, that, that perception is that we're really polite, which is which is great. You know, I think I'm sorry is just almost like a um, it's almost like a gap filler, mm-hmm. you know, that that just comes out of people. And you wonder how many times it's actually genuine, yeah. you know, and, and a, a, gen, a genuine apology is, is worth its weight in gold for sure. You know, I'm trying to think of, you know, maybe a specific example where, you know, there, there was that huge opportunity for me to, to, to handle the situation differently. And I think there's just been, <laughs> sadly, a lot of small ones. I haven't had necessarily in my time, you know, these really kind of like, explosive or or blown up situations but i've worked with now i'm i'm presuming thousands of good life associates over the years you know and each one of them you know has has their story mm-hmm. you know one interaction i can definitely recall was you know as a divisional manager you're often tasked with making you know the the unpopular decisions or, you know, decisions that impact people's lives, right? If you're, and, and I'm thinking specifically of having to, to move somebody to a different club. And I had a situation where there was a fitness advisor and we, we needed to put a fitness advisor at another club and this fitness advisor was really strong. And I, I sort of went ahead and made the decision and then informed the general manager. And that general manager was extremely unhappy with how uh, I had handled the situation. And in hindsight, uh, it's not even hindsight. I think in the moment, I, I did understand, you know, where I had damaged the relationship as a result of not really taking the time to consider what is the best approach overall and how can we create a winning situation that isn't a sucker's choice. You know, the the outcome ended up being really different. We didn't, you know, proceed with the transfer the way that uh, I had originally outlined it. We we found a better solution. Then I had to like rebuild the relationship again a little bit with that general manager because in their mind, you know, I was willing to make decisions that could personally impact them without getting, you know, their their input. That is not a, a, a situation you'd want anybody to really feel like they're in professionally. It, it did end up that we, you know, we mended the relationship and I think it even strengthened the relationship. But, you know, in that moment, I really understood that the decisions that I make sometimes you really have to take a step back and think about if I lead with caring, you know, what will this decision look like? If I lead with an attitude of servitude, you know, what will this decision look like from that moment? And thankfully that was well over 10 years ago that that happened. It's really mitigated the risk of me making any type of like bad decision like that again in the future. It is true. And I think that connection kind of comes with people saying, you've trusted me with a club or you've trusted me with this position. Why wouldn't you come to me for my opinion? Yeah. It kind of goes to that, that quote of what Brene Brown said. It's just like, you know, if they don't feel valued, then of course there's not going to be a strong connection. Yeah. 
And, and, and just to add to, to that, maybe, is we've likely heard this idea that people don't quit an organization. So I, I truly believe that when an associate leaves, chooses to leave Good Life, and maybe the, the conditions under which they're leaving it are, are more negative, it's actually more of a commentary on their direct supervisor. You kind of quit your boss, not the company. Mm-hmm. And that, that really stuck with me. And I said, man, I don't want to create a situation where somebody wants to quit on me because they don't trust that I am looking out for their best interest. They don't trust that I care about their success. And, you know, I, I suppose it would take a myriad of, of exit interviews to confirm what I believe, but I, I do believe that I haven't had anybody sort of quit me. You know, they've, they've left for, for opportunities and, and absolutely they should, they should cultivate those opportunities and do those things. But I, I really pride myself on, you know, having built strong teams, effective teams, not the best teams. I'm not going to sit here and say we, I've ever had the best team, but I think I've always been able to cultivate groups that enjoy working together and, and go out and, and do good work and, and, and enjoy the process mm-hmm. and, and can have fun with it and keep it kind of lighthearted. And, you know, the, those types of working conditions to me are, that's the dream, right? For people to enjoy their work and to be excited about what that day in terms of opportunity and the people that they get to work with. So let's go over to a fun fact about you. Um, so you had dinner, actually had a meal with Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. So how did, how did this happen? Yeah, a shared experience, a meal with Jim Carrey. <laughs> so I should probably preface this by saying I was quite young when this happened. I don't often share this, but people do know this about me, that when I was much younger, I was on a, a nationally syndicated television show. So it was a television show called You Can't Do That on Television, and it was kind of like a sketch comedy kids show. You know, people listening to this now might go to YouTube and see if they can find <laughs> You Can't Do That on Television. If, if you're looking out there, if you're listening to this podcast and you're looking for me on the show, then you'll have to type in Carlos Braithwaite. Uh, that's kind of the, the moniker I went by when I was a child. Wow, we, kn- we know we're never going to lose you to a witness relocation program. <laughs> you give up your identity way too easy. <laughs> I did. Yeah, exactly. No, no, not, not Carlos. Pablo. Um, so, yeah. so when I was younger, I was on this TV show, and it was such an incredible experience. And I got to work with so many talented actors. One of the, the claims to fame for that show was that Alanis Morissette. Uh, was on the show as well and, she, and we weren't on it at the same time but she's just widely known for having kind of started her, a little bit of her on-screen career uh, on that show and there's some other actors too that have gone on to do like you know like big kind of hollywood movies and things so we i was on this show and uh, did that for about three three and a half, three years or so and part of our sort of duties was that we would go to, you know, different events and be part of, you know, potentially hosting events and we would do charity work. And it was really, it was almost very surreal because I went from just being a really sort of normal kid to only going to school like two to three days a week and and having, you know, read-throughs after school every day and filming from Thursday through Sundays. Like it was just, it was all of a sudden just very, very different. And we got the opportunity to host the first ever uh, YTV Achievement Awards. Now, I'm not sure if they actually still do that particular like awards or if it's changed. I think it eventually did evolve into like kind of like the Nickelodeon Awards. And Jim Carrey was the main host of the first ever uh, YTV Achievement Awards. And we were guest presenters for an award. And so we went out there and kind of did our thing. And then we were at a table with Jim Carrey. So myself and probably about five of the other actors on the show. And we had dinner with Jim Carrey. Now, Jim Carrey wasn't on Mad TV 
yet at this point. I think it was Mad TV or In Living Color. Sorry. So he was on a television. He hadn't kind of been a breakthrough yet. It's not like he had done The Mask or any of like sort of his huge Ace Ventura or any of his big movies. But he was definitely known, and he was a big deal, and he was super famous. And we had dinner with him, and I i kid you not, and I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast ever, but I did find him incredibly annoying at the time. And I think what it was was that he just remained on. You know, he was just in his character the entire time. And I was kind of hoping to be able to just talk to him. But it was just, you know, he was this incredible gravity of energy that he brought and he was entertaining but he didn't turn off and so when i say annoying i'm only i was annoyed that i didn't get a chance to kind of talk to him and connect with him i only got to really see his character and uh yeah we had dinner for about an hour and a half and you know we were too young to to enjoy sort of the after party of whatever would be involved with a youth uh, awards ceremony but um it was a, a ton of fun and and we did uh you know other things and but uh, that dinner with Jim Carrey will always be a memory for me too, a fond one. That's incredible. I, I, I mean, hey, but you know, what? maybe that maybe that was the lesson you took away from it is that sense of like you have an opportunity to be with new people. You know, you might want to just be you for a bit and and turn off the persona. And right. It's, it's interesting because I I recently just watched a, a documentary on um, uh, the the comedy uh, uh, shop. I think it was down in, in LA that was run by Pauly Shore's mom and, and Jim Carrey was on it. And, it was, and there were a lot of them were talking about Jim Carrey and he, it was the same thing. Like he was the guy that would like run across and hide in the piano. And then he would be in the piano for the rest of the night because he would just commit to it, the whole thing. So I think he's just had this level yeah. of I'm this, this is what's marketing me. Yeah. I got to be this at all times. Cause it's, it's getting me gigs. It's getting me work. Yeah. He was fully invested. Which was, you know, it was, it's so amazing. And you know, you say I had dinner with Jim Carrey and it's like super, super cool. I think anytime people meet with, and he wasn't like an idol or anything, but when you meet people of a certain fame or stature, it, it can be really cool. Like I remember meeting uh, Scott Eastwood. He's like Clint Eastwood's son. And he was super nice. We had the chance to, to talk. I spent a night with Jaleel White and he's more famously known as Steve Urkel. And uh, it's, it's going to sound like, what, what, what did you do in your past life? Realm? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, just some really fortunate exposures. I, I stepped on David Usher's foot twice in two different cities. We'll save that for another podcast. But the lead singer of Moist got stepped on by me in Ottawa and Montreal. Um, so <laughs> I'll save that story for another time. So the last thing I want to talk to you about or, or just finish on is, you know, we have a lot of new associates. What would be some advice or what's one piece of advice you would give a new associate here at Good Life? Yeah, you know that that's like that. If I uh, if I knew then what I know now, I guess type of question. And and I said, I guess I would say that you know, for a new associate getting started, take the time to to, to you know, no surprise here, to connect with those that you work with, get an understanding of of the things that are important for them, and 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 what do they enjoy doing, and how can you learn about them? You know, there's a there's a skill called appreciative listening and to really present it in its most simplest form. It's this idea of what can you learn about an individual by what they're saying? What, can, what do they reveal, you know, sometimes subtly or, or, or overtly about themselves? What are they passionate about? And, you know, lock that in and, and remember that because when you come back to that next engagement or encounter with that individual and you can speak genuinely and, and, and inquisitively about the things that they had a chance to do or the things that they're really passionate about, 
that is so incredibly powerful in terms of forging that connection and, and, and making it so that they, they understand and they, they appreciate you. It's a, it's a really powerful skill that will serve people well beyond the four walls of a good life club. So I, th- I think it's more of a, a life skill than it is necessarily just a professional skill. So if new associates can, can commit to that, can commit to learning and appreciating others that they get a chance to work with, I, I think they'll find themselves in a very favorable position in a short period of time. That's such great advice. Carlton, thank you so much for being a guest today on the show and taking the time to share your insight on how to make a connection. I think it's so important too, because coming out of the pandemic, we need connection more than ever. And what you shared today is gonna be a big, big help. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me again. It was just such a pleasure. And, and obviously, we've always enjoyed spending time talking together. So this was really nice. This was good, great for me. And uh, I hope the people that uh, got a chance to listen to this enjoyed it as well. Well, that's our show. Thank you once again to our guest, Carlton Braithwaite, who is now our Director of Business Growth. The Good Life Podcast 30 Minutes With is produced by Rochelle Lowry. The intro and outro song is by Ketza. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it and leave us a review. We'd like to hear your thoughts. Stay safe and well, and we'll see you next time.